Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Friday, right? There's something powerful about it, I believe. I mean, just having that old sim, though, then sings my soul. We haven't sung it for a while in here, but I couldn't help it. But I was in bits. You may not have noticed that, but I was looking for something to, to wipe the tears. Sometimes just the, the power of the song, the power of the words just washes over you. The reality of, of who he is, what he did, just hits you once again, right in here. Not just in here in the ears, but right in here. You know, we're, we're looking at this series, who is, what a picture, who is, not that man, but who is this man, Jesus. We've been, we've been blessed to hear that he's a, a friend of sinners. He's your friend regardless of your background or situation that you find yourself in. He loves you regardless of what you've been involved in. He was able to break into the heart and transform the life of a chief tax collector, wasn't he? Remember the story of Zacchaeus, a little fellow who couldn't see Jesus, but he was one of the ones that was up to no good. He was the chief of them all, and he was the, the, prime, the prime suspect in all that went bad in that day, that period. But Jesus said, I'm coming to your house for tea. And in those moments, just through the conversation, something happened in that house. We're not privileged to know exactly what was said, but it was life-changing. See, Jesus is life-changing. And he went out so much that he actually turned his whole life around and gave back what he, what he had taken. Not just the bit, little bit that he had taken, but he doubled, he moored it. He went the extra bit because of Jesus. He transformed hearts. People followed him for miles. They came to hear him speak. Seeking out the ones who were deemed sinners. He was getting called out for hanging out with the wrong crowd. The wrong crowd. The Bible's clear in Matthew 9 and verse 13. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. That's you. That's me. He spent his whole life leading and loving and teaching and and serving. But it could be said that that wasn't his main objective. It could be said it wasn't his main objective. You know, he had a mission, as we may call it, impossible. But we know what the Bible says about the impossible. That through God, all things are possible. You know that we learned also as well this week on Sunday where he, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem. The people lined the streets welcoming the king. Here comes the king of kings. They laid palm branches down. They laid their coats down as a sign of, of respect. You know, we, we would expect if a king was coming that he'd be maybe rolling up in gladiator style with the, with the, chari- you know, the chariots and the stallions and the, the dust and the smoke and the, the power of who he was being, being shown for all to see. But there he was on a, a donkey <laughs> that hadn't even been ridden before. You can imagine that sort of like shaky little walk up the thing and it wasn't what people were expecting. It wasn't what they were expecting their king of kings to be like. They went from shouting, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna to the king. 
within the space of a week to crucify him. Crucify him. Plastic fans, you might say. We all know the football analogy when the fans are all like getting behind the manager. We love him. Yeah, he's the best thing. He's great. We love him. He's going to do everything. But then we lose a few games. Boo, get him out. We're rubbish. Boo, get him out. I apologize for using the, a football analogy. I kind of like it, but you sort of know what I mean. Plastic fans. And so we come to Friday. We come today. You see, the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time had a problem with him. They wanted rid of him. They wanted him gone. And so they started to get into the ears of the people that mattered. They started getting into the governors of the state, saying, we don't want him around anymore. You need to do something about him. And in those moments, Judas, one of his own disciples, was conspiring against him. Turning in, turning him in, making plans to do him over. And after his arrest, and I'm not going into too much detail, but after his arrest, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Pilate said, there's nothing wrong with this man. In him I find no sin. There's nothing wrong. What do you want me to do? Crucify him. What? Crucify him. In fact, the tradition of the day was that they would let someone else go. And they let the very person go who actually stood and represented sin in that time. A bad guy was let go for free for what? For the goodness of an innocent man. Betrayed by his own. Denied by his own. Peter denied him. Not once, not twice, but three times. I mean, how many chances do you need? Three questions. You were with him. You know him. You were with him. No, I wasn't. Cock crowed twice. Just as Jesus said mine. Just as Jesus said. Immediately, Peter knew. Broke down and, and wept. But why the cross? You know, we have a a cross on the stage today. We don't normally have one up here. We have the symbolic nature of it is is printed in our hearts. But I thought it was good that we have something here that sort of represents the very instrument that was used to crucify the King of Kings. An instrument in its day of the most excruciating of pain. In fact, that word actually comes from crucifixion. Why the cross? Basically, because of sin. It's the one thing that separates us from God. The Old Testament shows us what God thinks of sin. He hates it. It can't be in his presence. It can't be in his, his, his presence because of his holiness. But what is it? What is it? What is this sin? We've heard the literal translation of it as being missing the mark. You know, when I was, I was younger, I was uh, still the same size, but I was, I was 19 and I was going through uh, university at the time and I, it was one of those things where um, I got on this course 
Um, I, I chose it not because I, I really wanted to be there because, you know, I don't know whether anybody else is here didn't know what they wanted to do when they were younger. So they ended up doing something that it just sort of almost filled the, the time, you know. And halfway through the course, I, I, I saw this, 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 uh, this advertisement for the fire brigade. For the fire brigade. That excited me. I like the fact of, of being able to be hands-on and, and the excitement that, that, that must have brought to, to those that are they're in the fire brigade. And the fact that you can help people too at the same time. It just sounded great. It sounded really appealing to me. So they sent me a pack. They sent me all the stuff. They sent me even a fitness regime of what you needed to do. Now, I was playing football maybe three or four times a week at that time. And then, so I was reasonably fit, you know, I was reasonably fit, I, I did all the stuff they, they wanted me to do on it, I was doing, you know, you know 920,000 pull-ups on one arm, and, and I was, I mean, I was, I was twice the size of, 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 of what I am now, but, but then came the time when I, I had to go in and actually go through with the whole sort of process of, of the interview and the tryout. And I got there early, I was maybe the third in line, I remember it, and I looked behind me, and there was about a row of 200 people or so behind me, I said, wow, it was 10 positions, 10 positions, and there's 200, that means some people are going to miss out, not me. So I went into the, the room, and they, the first thing they did was they, they wrote a number on your hand, and then they stood me up against the wall, and they, they pulled the height thing down on top of you as they do, and two millimeters, two millimeters too short. Oh yeah, oh. I was gutted. I had to do a walk of shame the whole way out. People saying, well man, they're kicking people out already. But I, I missed the mark. You see, it didn't matter how much I stretched my neck up. It didn't matter how much I was trying to make myself a little bit taller. I couldn't reach the mark that they needed it to be. That's the example of what sin is. You miss the mark. It doesn't matter how good you think you are and, and what you've done in life. It doesn't matter the charity involvement you've had. You miss the mark. The Bible is clear on that. But where did it come from? <laughs> well, in the beginning, God created a, a perfect world. We believe in this place that God created a perfect world. He is a God of creation. And when he, when he sat back on that seventh day and, and looked to see what he had made, he says in Genesis 1 verse 31, he said, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God who is good had, had done good. And we know what it's like maybe that we've, we've spent the day gardening. You know, you've cleaned up the garden and you sit back in the, the evening just to admire you know, the, what you've done, the creation, if you like, of, of what you've done. Everything's tidy. The leaves are swept up. Everything's pruned and whatever else gardens need. And, and you look around and it's perfect. But then the wind sweeps up. It starts to turn it around and within an instant it's ruined. Or the kids come flying in. They're kicking footballs everywhere. And it's ruined, isn't it, in an instant. You see, all that God had created was good and perfect. But it wasn't the weather that wrecked it. It wasn't the, the kids running around like, like crazies. It was sin. So we haven't got time to go into the, the full detail of it. But, but God had formed man and he had formed women, woman. And he asked them to do one job. He said, I've got you, I give you this garden. It was perfect. I give you this garden to look after it. But the one thing I don't want you to do is eat from the tree. 
in the middle. The tree of good and evil. The knowledge of, of good and evil. You would think that would have been the, the easiest thing in the world. They had the whole thing to go to, hadn't they? They had the whole place to themselves with that one tree where they, stay, they were to stay away from. See, then the devil got involved. And he asked them a question. He was in this form of a, a serpent or a snake. And he, he, said, he said to them, Did God really say not to eat from the tree? See, the devil's crafty. He doesn't say it in black and white. That'd be too easy for us to maybe deny him. He just asks those little questions. Sows the seed of doubt. And then his job's done. Because your mind's going on. And your mind's going on and on. And then boom. They took from the tree and ate it. They gave in to this temptation. And in an instant, in that instant, when they had a relationship with God at the time, an instant gap appeared between man and God. And it couldn't be bridged. It couldn't be filled in. There was nothing that would, would rectify that, that situation. And it affects us all. From that moment, it flowed through from, from all of humanity. We all are influenced by the effect of sin. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us. Not just a few of us. All of us have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. What was created in perfection was, was ruined in an instant. Enter pain, enter disease, unforgiveness, deceit, crime, cheating. The list goes on. And we could list a whole bunch of stuff. The result of sin. Isaiah 59.2 says, Iniquities have separated us from God. Sin has hidden his face from us. Wow. See, the Old Testament is full of stories showing how they went on maybe a yo-yo sin diet, you know? They would, they would, they would maybe do something wrong, then offer up a, 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 an offering. They would sacrifice a, a young lamb or a, a young goat or a calf. But these things were, were, were temporary. See, God needed something that was, was to be permanent. The good news is that, that God had a plan. Who's a planner? Who likes to have a plan? We know what it's like when you've got a plan because... It works out the way you mean it to work out. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He needed to send a savior. One who was perfect in every way. Who would be a just king. Who would be a deliverer and an overcomer. Who would be a redeemer. One who was out without sin. Who would be the perfect sacrifice. The temporary Needed to be permanent. So God gave us Jesus. You may have heard of him. If you've been around this church, you'll have definitely heard of him. We think he's quite a, a big deal, and you could say we're fanatical. And I have to tell you, it's true. Well, he spent his whole life, like I said before, loving and leading people, healing them, teaching them. Loving them, serving them. Maybe you can consider yourself one of those who, who don't deserve the attention of Jesus. Maybe you think your past is too much. 
Maybe you've done things in life that, that, that really, in the scale of what humanity looks at, are just, are just massive. But God's interested in you. Jesus is interested in you. He came to hang out with the very people like you. He wants to make a difference in your life. The Bible is clear on that. Jesus is interested in you regardless of your background. Regardless of your past. Regardless of your now. I wonder if you've ever faced something big in your life. Maybe something that filled you with fear and and worry. You know, it could be something as, I don't know, a a big operation, you know, or or whether it's a, I don't know, something that changes life. For maybe the worst, maybe you don't know how it's going to change. Big things. If you have, you'll remember, you know, how the, the fear maybe would have consumed you, eaten you up inside, maybe fearing the worst, I don't know. And I wonder if you actually knew what was going to happen. I wonder if you knew what was coming, whether it would be painful or whether it would just be misery. I don't know. If you knew what was coming in the future, whether you could actually step out the front door in the morning. See, Jesus knew exactly what was going to come to him. He knew what his his main mission in life was. He knew how he was going to die. He knew when he was going to die. But still, knowing all that was to come, stepped out. You know, he knew it so much that, that he went up to a place called Gethsemane. And in that garden, he prayed. You see, sometimes we, we hear, I hear it at work. You know, the, you can't just say that your way is the right way. You can't say that Jesus is the only way. You know, Jesus fell on his knees and prayed that day to his father. He said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me, Lord. He, he swept, his sweat was like drops of, of blood. So much was the angst in his, in his heart that he, he said, God, take this cup from me. There must be another way. And God looked down at his son. He said, son, you are the way. And so Jesus went forward to the cross. And so we see him being led up the street with this big, heavy old lump of wood on his back. He's been beaten at this point. He's been tortured. You know, the soldiers would have maybe given him a little bit extra because of who he, who he actually said he was. Maybe they were given a little bit more, the whippings, the beatings. His, his flesh was, was torn. He was, he was a mess before he even came to this position. But he walked out with this thing on his back and he was too weak and they actually took it off him and, and, and gave it to a, a guy named Simon. And Simon carried it behind him and I think it's interesting that, that his life was spent leading people and there he is walking out to his, his certain death and he was still leading somebody up the road. They didn't know who they were sending to the cross. They didn't realize who he was. Imagine for a minute, put yourself in maybe his shoes. His life generally entailed, like I said, being followed by, by a crowd. People hanging on his every word. His teaching changed hearts. He healed people. 
People came for miles just to see and hear him speak. And in that moment, as he approaches the place where they'd kill him, the moment of rejection, the moment of abandonment, the loneliness, the people who were around him suddenly silent. And all he could hear maybe was the jeering. Crucify him. Crucify him. So Jesus stumbled his way out of Jerusalem until eventually coming to the place they called Calvary. They lay him down on the, on the cross and, and they drove these big old crude nails into his hands. Into his hands, left and right. They nailed his feet to the cross. And then they lifted him up, pushed up the cross so he could be hanging. Can you imagine the pain? As his weight pulled down on these wounds. And in my mind, I go into the, the heavenlies and I put myself in an angel's point of view, Right? And I'm starting to jostle. Let us loose, God. Let me loose. We'll go down and we'll sort this out. Let me loose. And God's got his hand back like this. He says, no, I've got to let this happen. I love my people too much. I want relationship to be stored. You will not move out of this position. The tears must have been welling up in his eyes as he saw his son who had been tortured hanging on a cross alone and rejected and even in that moment even in that moment when he looked out across the people who were who had hated him suddenly turning on him who crucified him who tortured him who rejected him he said Father forgive them not individually forgive them for they know not what they do. And then eventually Jesus takes his, his last breath and, and says, Father, into your, your hands I, I commit my spirit. And in that moment, the perfect sacrifice from a perfect God became a perfect Savior. You see, the cross isn't all about, it is all about an incredible act of forgiveness something we don't deserve it's all about God showing his love for us for God so loved the world that he would give his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but had everlasting life see it was never about the wrath of God it was never about him punishing his sin his son it was his love that held Jesus there. That he would magnify his mercy in giving us this free gift of salvation. You can't earn it. You can't win it. You can't do anything. There's nothing in your power except for what God has done. That's grace. That's grace. You know, the cross stands for a symbolic but powerful, powerful message of forgiveness it stands strong and I was reminded this week even of it you'll remember the Notre Dame fire that that burnt down or that the fire that burnt Notre Dame down and there was a picture in the in the paper this week and and I, I was just 
I was just struck by it, and I'm sure things like this have maybe struck us before. But in the middle of the carnage, in the middle of, of the smoke and the debris, in the middle of, of your life falling to pieces, in the middle of stuff that's, in, that's, that's consuming you with fear, in the middle of, of whatever it is that's tormenting you, the cross stands above it all. The cross stands above it all. Aren't you glad that there's a God who loves you so much that he would allow his only son to go through the sorrow, and it is sorrow of the cross, that we might have forgiveness. We might have a chance. No matter what the scale, it's easy for us to humanize it, isn't it? Murder, bad, still real bad, but, but down here you've nicked the sweet out of, of, out of the pick and mix. It's all sin. It's all sin. And it's all that separates us from God. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. All because he, he wanted to have a relationship with us. He wanted us to have a relationship with him. Not for his benefit, but for our benefit. Do you know him? Do you know him today? You know, we want to give an opportunity today just to, to respond to this Jesus, to this man who gave his life for you, who gave his life for me. And while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, we see that that we can be forgiven no matter what the world says about our sin, how it grades our sin. We say to Jesus, we, we know what you did on the cross and you, you did it for me, that I may be saved. Will you make that decision today to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And if you want to say yes, we're not going to ask you to come forward. We're not going to ask you to do anything other than just slip your hand up right where you're sat. All eyes are shut and, and, and heads are bowed. If you want to say yes, just slip your hand up right now. Thank you. Reach up high so I can, I can see. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Do you want to know him? Do you want to follow him? You know, he knows you by name. The Bible says he knows every hair on your head. Will you accept him as your savior this, after, this evening? We're just going to pray now. And I'm actually going to ask us to pray all together if that's okay. Because I think there's something in speaking out these words.